Hello all and a very warm welcome to the True Crime Enthusiast podcast, the premier North Wales spare room based true crime show where each time around I try to bring you some of the tales that are more obscure, often forgotten, unfamiliar, unbelievable sometimes from all corners of the UK and Ireland. Bringing you these is myself, Paul, the creator, host and true crime enthusiast of the show's title. I'm joined as ever by the hairy football, the toothless one-eyed wonder that is peaked, the true crime enthusiast cat. And we're completed by you guys, the wonderful enthusiasts who make doing all of this, and it is a proper second job, all of it worthwhile. It really is. So you join us both here today for the long-promised review of Series 6 of the show, which we've just finished in December of last year. And I finally got myself a quiet half an hour, so here I am, sit down and do it. I did say at the end of the episode it's going to be as rough as a badger's arse and probably me waffling load of old shit, but you've got to bear with me a bit here. So I've looked back over the series and it's hard to think beyond Thriller. Well, we'll get to Thriller later on, but it's quite hard to think beyond that. So I really had to look in, so and I had to take some notes as well. So as I say, you've got to bear with me a bit because... I can't even remember exactly what I covered in this series, even in gist, to be able to think back about it. So it may be somewhat disjointed as we go along, but as I said, everything pre-thriller seems like a lifetime ago. So, And I'll still be doing the Patreon episodes throughout the year anyway, as regular as I can be, and through one thing or another. What a crazy, absolutely bloody mental year last one was, eh? When all the shitstorm kicked off in 2020, we all thought, oh my god, the next year can't be much worse, and it pretty much has been, hasn't it? It's been bollocks, it really has. Hopefully, hopefully, better things for this year, eh? We shall see. Watch this space. I should just add as well that if I sound like I'm just skimming over the episodes and I might, like, not mention people's surnames or anything, it's it's because... I've done so many, I probably, I can't remember it and I can't just go into it and read through the text and everything like that. It'll, it will, I'll be here all bloody day doing it. So if I, if I just mention like say Joe and Frieda or something, it's all the information is in the episode. Okay, guys. So back in February of last year, then I began the series with a two-parter called The Burning which was the horrific case of Fiaz Munchie and several of her cronies in Oxford, and a horrendous attack on the Khan family, with which just come out of the lengths that she'd go to when he spurned her as a boyfriend when he said he wanted nothing to do with her whatsoever following his imprisonment. And her actions that she drove, there was a whole group of them who'd done it, but the actions that she drove resulted in the deaths of two of the Khan family children, Majid and Amun. It was absolutely horrific. What possesses people to pour petrol through a letterbox and set it on fire, knowing there's a house full of people in there, children? It, it just, words just fail me. I, I can't comprehend it at all. But this was one that I researched as a series of similar cases. One popped up a bit later on in series six, and you never know, the others may pop up in the future. Well, of course they will do. I wouldn't have bloody researched them otherwise, would I? So I followed the two-part opener episode case, whatever you want to call it, with an episode called Scarred, and that went down to Truro, yeah, in Truro, for an acid attack that left Andreas Christophoros scarred beyond belief for life. And the worst part of it 
it was a case of mistaken identity. On the behalf of a vengeful, absolute, psychopathic nutcase called David Phillips, who believed that Andreas, or the person he believed lived in that house, had sexually attacked a member of his family. Now, fair play, I'm sure we'd all like revenge if something like that happened. It would be, it's a human nature that is, but to throw acid in somebody's face, to proper disfigure them for, for, for life like that, to life-changing injuries. No, you just can't, that, that, that's too much, that's too far, and you can't condone things like that at all. Uh, and the guy is still serving now where he completely deserves to be for such horrific, awful actions. Yet, Andreas' story, although it's terrible, it's quite inspirational as well, because this guy has overcome so much in the years since the attack, and, you know, he, he's become an inspiration, he's become a spokesperson for the group that's helped him, he's done absolutely wonderful things, he really has, so, well, one life changes, another life starts, yeah, so it was, it was a bit I think I put in the episode notes at the time, it was a horrendous story, yet it was quite an uplifting, inspirational one as well. Yeah, I was very, very proud to have done it. So I followed Andreas's story up with an episode called Every Parent's Nightmare, and it deals with one of the things that, on the show, anything to do with children or the elderly particularly, gets me and it was an awful case that was unsolved for many years that took place in the 1980s in Bolton. The murder of a child called Imran Vora and a horrific sex murder it was. Things like that you know you should go to the ends of the earth to find who's responsible for it. When Imran's killer was finally traced many years later sadly it was too late for justice to catch up with him because he died some years before. A guy called Robert Morley and the the episode was left quite kind of open-ended because I thought, how many other things has this guy done? Because you, you don't do something like that, one-off, strangle someone with their own shoelaces after raping them. No. And he's obviously, clearly will have done other things, but sadly, we'll, we'll never be able to know. And then come a tale called The Lethal Lodger and the Lost Landlord which was a case from South Wales, quite fairly recently one actually, of a guy called David Ellis, who murdered his landlord, Alec Warburton, for a, in a pretty pointless crime that netted him the best part of bugger all for an extremely brutal murder. I mean, he'd battered him to death with a hammer, transported his body from South Wales to North Wales, and dumped it in a quarry like a piece of old rubbish. And what struck me what struck me at the time when i was researching it was the deviousness of ellis when he was doing it because he used the victim's own car but he changed the number plate with masking tape ever so slightly but effectively enough that by a glance you'd read a completely different registration number very very cagey and then come the second two-part episode of the series angel face and the muscle man now this deals with the escape from Durham Prison. Well, there were several escapes mentioned in it, but the main one was from Durham Prison in 1968, I believe it was. Yeah, 1968, I think, yeah. And it's to do with armed robbers Walter Probin and John McVicker. Now, they made a film about it. It's got Roger Daltrey, great soundtrack from The Who. And 
The McVickers, a really good film. It's one of my favourites, and what a fantastic, absolutely fascinating tale it was to have covered and research. It was one that I'd planned since I began doing The Enthusiast nearly five years ago, and I thoroughly enjoyed doing it. It was, uh, yeah, it's one of the highlights of the series for me to have done, because there was just so much to it, and what a pair of characters these really were. Absolute treat to to have done. But I didn't mean to... I didn't mean to have so many multi-parters, if you like, this series. And uh, it's just how it works out sometimes. But I followed it up with... I was going to do the traditional Monsters of episode that I do each series now. And I chose the tale of Gavin Maguire. And specifically his murder of Mary Julian up in Ayrshire in the 1990s. Now, what a monster indeed. This guy's Mary's horrific opportunistic murder was awful enough to have covered, but when I looked into his past crimes as well, I thought there's there's no way you can scrimp on it. I mean, one of them, oh, after he'd raped and beaten a woman on the seafront, he actually threw a near unconscious body into the sea and then hung about to make sure she drowned. Now, thankfully, she didn't drown. She managed to get away and led to him being captured uh, a few days later and she identified him but the left the mindset to do that just absolute terror what a despicable beast who will never be released he will end his days behind bars completely where he needs to be Pixie's just come to mind yeah my feet so if you can hear his little bell that's where it is he's just having a fuss at the moment so that was a trilogy, the Mary Julian, the Monsters of Ayrshire trilogy was. Uh, as I said, it didn't intend to be, but that's how it ended up. So by this time, we're getting well into the flow of the series and all that. Maybe I didn't mean to have three two-part ones by this time, but that's just how it goes. So I had a bit of a word with myself, slapped myself on the hand, and I thought we'll do some standalone episodes, really. So I had a bit of a run with them. And the next one that come, following the Monsters of Ayrshire trilogy, was an episode called Fury and Fire, which is part of the one I discovered when I was researching the opening two-part, The Burning, and it was a massacre in London by a man called Richard Fielding, who killed at least six people due to his own mental illness, when he again, in a sort of a copy of the Munchie crime, poured petrol through a letterbox of a, a school friend of his, and set the house on fire, and just walked away got away on his mountain bike and rode off, happy as Larry, so chuffed about what he'd done, and left six people to die in a burning home like that. Absolutely terrible. Awful, awful case. So the next one we followed up with was Unsolved. We always do an Unsolved one uh, every series, don't we? And it was Unsolved Greater Manchester this time around. Two cases that I think, I know at least one of them, I can think of one other show that has covered it, but that's just how it goes sometimes, you know. And But the two the two of them, there were the, the, the killings from the 1970s in a bedsit of Joe and Frida, and the murder in her own flat of a nurse called Debbie Remoroso, which were, they, they were all terrible, terrible crimes, but they're not familiar at all. They're not names that roll off the top of your head, and it, it proves when I was researching it, because there is absolutely nothing out there to research about them and these murders are absolutely brutal i mean joan frieda were battered to death with a hammer in the bed debbie was stabbed multiple times in her own front room and left kind of posed if you like Ter- terrible crimes very memorable ones but th- there's nothing out there about them so 
That's what we try and do here, isn't it? Bring names like this to the fore. So the next one that come was a tale called Spurned Hearns, which, again, it was a pair of tales. I seem to have a bit of a run for a couple of weeks on the bounce of two tales per episode, if you like. And Spurned Hearns jumped out at me, really, because I, w- I just happened to read in my vast library, I come across one tale that of, of Michael Hearn, a guy who um, shot his younger lover when she was pregnant with another man's child and set the house on fire and... It was quite it was quite a memorable crime. It's not a familiar one. Quite a memorable one though when I found when I come across it. And then I was reading something else and I found a case from the nineteen seventies which involved someone with the same surname, again involved a brutal murder, again involved fire, and that's like your spidey sense goes off then and you think, I can't ignore that. That's gotta go into an episode together. So I'll put them both into the pot and I'll mix stuff around and we see what we come out with and we come out with the episode called Spurned Hearns. And that was followed by an episode called Mutilated and Mangled, pretty much self-explanatory from the title. Now these crimes, well, there's no such thing as a nice crime that we cover here. We might have some that are a bit obscure and a bit out there, you know, uh, I can think of a good patron, well, a couple of good patron ones that I've done this year that have been sort of off the beaten track if you like really but i've lost my train of thought now yeah so no so i'll just read these two kind of things and there might be sometimes there might not be enough there might be something that jumps out at me as i've said this many times before on the show um there might be a case that jumps out at me but there's absolutely the best part of nothing to research about it and i think to myself i've got to, i've got to do that i've got to cover it it's going to haunt me and bug me if i don't to fill it out, let's try and put something else in. Let's get another name that's unfamiliar. And the murders of Annie Saxton and Jesse Hurlstone that are covered in the episode Mutilated and Mangled. The cases are terrible. They, they're just, they're some of the most disturbing ones. There's a reason I called it Mutilated and Mangled. If you've not caught up with that one yet, go back and have a listen to it. And when you hear me describe what happened, I think you'll agree about the title, no problem. But, uh... Yeah, but they're both incredibly savage and, again, unfamiliar cases. So that's what I like to do. That's what I would want to listen to myself. And that's what I'll keep doing through series 7, 8, 15, 26, as long as we can. As long as I've got breath in my body, I'll keep doing it. So the next one up was the Airman and the Commander, which dealt with two rampages. Now, I said that when you think of rampages in the UK, thankfully, they're, they're few and far between, but... There's the canonical three, isn't there? There's Hungerford, Dunblane, and Cumbria. But there's others as well that um, you never know. We might hear of one next series. In fact, we will hear of one next series because I've already researched it. But two I chose there were, were crimes of, of, that were absolutely terrible. There was a rampage in the 1950s from a US airman called Napoleon Green, who shot multiple people on an Air Force base in Kent and then went off into the the countryside and died in a sort of standoff with armed police on the beach. And a bit closer to my home, well, not closer really, because it's about 80-odd mile away, but North Wales, my beautiful, wonderful home area, dealt with the massacre in 1976 at the Red Gables Hotel in Penmine Mower by a former naval commander called Neil Rutherford, who absolutely just lost his shit one night and massacred a family that he'd worked for in a hotel and a guest who was staying with them and before taking his own life after having set the building on fire. 
terrible story and the building i believe has been raised to the ground today it stood for many years empty it's quite there are pictures available of it as a shell and it's quite it's quite eerie when you think when it was when you know what's gone on there you think mm, yeah it's quite quite macabre to uh, to look at yeah and and say as well when i go on about all these episodes i'm just kind of listing what's happened in it i i advise you please do um Head back and listen into any of them again, or whichever ones you haven't caught up with. That's the whole reason I do it all. It really is. Yeah, of course, want people to listen. So the next episode that followed the Airman and the Commander dealing with these massacres, I knew I was building up to something. In fact, it was the only thing that I had proper planned for Series Six. I make a list every time. I've I try and do a working list it never goes to plan at all never kind of sticks to it um there's always something else will jump out or i'll need to do something else at that time or it all gets mixed and matched and i ended up doing an episode called annihilator which is a terrible story horrendous tale of a man called philip austin who slaughtered his wife children and their pets back in the year 2000 in northampton now I took some notes when I was preparing this because I've got to have some sort of reminders and all I've put for the Annihilator episode is what do you even say about something like that? He offered no explanation for what he'd done and no remorse whatsoever. If anybody... Dis- and, and the worst thing is he's now they're now bandying around discussing moving him to an open prison and you think somebody like that should never see the light of day again. Not, not at all. It's oh, awful. And then... It was thriller time, but I'll come back to thriller a bit later on. So after Duffy and Mulcahy had nearly turned me into one of their victims as well, for a full two months, I have never been so sick and I've never wanted to twat anyone as much as David Mulcahy, I promise you. But I followed that up and I thought, oh my God, I'm a bit fried, I'm a bit frazzled. So I had a reach for a couple of weeks, I had a reach into the show's back catalogue of Patreon episodes. And the ones I chose were an episode called Ripper in the Making, which covered the the crimes of a man called Paul Bostock and a terrible double murder that he committed in Leicestershire in the 1980s and who's now been since released, actually, serving about 35 years, if he did, but he's now free and mm, don't know, bit of a debate about that, whether that's safe to, I wouldn't have thought so personally, but there you go. I don't make the decisions, do I? And the next one I chose after that was an episode called The Madness at Mother Max, which deals with the crazed actions of a man called Arthur Bradbury, a publican who killed his own family, his wife, his daughter and his stepsons, plus a family friend of theirs in a Manchester pub in when he knew he was being sacked by the brewery. He set the place on fire, placed all of his family members into a store cupboard, made a funeral pyre like that, and then it seemed as though he was going to do a runner he had like suitcase packed and booze and fags and everything in another one and then all of a sudden just changed his mind and chucked himself alive onto the funeral pyre it's uh, all horrendous tale again very unfamiliar but the pub has a plaque on the wall outside and have planned as soon as you get chance to do with this bastard covid thing and we can all kind of move a bit more freely and absolutely you know enjoy yourself without it only being six of you or distancing and all this shit no but we'll have a show meet up there at the pub i think it's a perfect place to do it and because it's somewhere i've never been and 
I'm very curious to. So I was rumbling towards the end of the series now. We're about three quarters of the way through the series after the madness at Mother Max. And I covered a case called Carbon Copy, which were a trio of murders in 1960s of a, from a, by a man called Michael Copeland. Homo, two of them were homophobic ones. One of them was just senseless, a, a, a young guy in Germany called Gunther. It was just a completely unprovoked murder. And the episode dealt with this strange behaviour in how he disposed of his first and his third victims. I mean, he left them in almost the same place. He stole cars from each and abandoned them in the same road. Everything like that. It was totally, totally bizarre behaviour. Um, have a listen. That's about a thing. Then we dealt with, a, in a tale called Snapped, we dealt with the terrible actions of a guy called Kerry Fuller, who, because his wife was developing a life of her own and independence from him, he couldn't deal with it and he reacted in the most unbelievable, terrible way by killing his three children and himself at a Shropshire beauty spot. It's, what do you say about, like, I go back to what I said about Philip Austin in Annihilator. What do you say about someone like that? It's just, yeah. I, I said pretty much everything I could do in the episode, but I don't even know what goes through people's minds. How can you? Then it was time for another two-parter. I thought, oh, yeah, come on. Uh, it was a case that I'd researched, wow, a, a good year ago, and it's never kind of found the right time before to be on the show until Jess Carter from the Outlines podcast got her hands on it and worked in magic with it, and she came up with a fantastic two-parter about a murder in Melsonby uh, only a few years ago, about 10 years ago that a guy called Robin Garbutt, postmaster, was sentenced to life imprisonment for. He was found guilty and sentenced to life imprisonment for the murder of his wife, the postmistress Diana. Now, I've made that sound like a clear sort of open and shut case, but there's quite a bit to it. It was well worth a two-parter. Jess done a fantastic job with it. She really has. And yeah, it's one of the most interesting tales I've done in the series, without a question. And it just makes you think, well, I personally, <laughs> I do think he's, uh, I do think the right decision was made in, in court. I, I really do. But there's just a couple of, there's a couple of points about it. All I can say is if you've not heard it, have a listen to it. It's a good, it's a good two-parter. And yeah, there's plenty of uh, points that make you think in it. So I come up to the penultimate episode of the series then with a tale called Mistakes and the Terrible Failings that Left a convicted rapist who'd spent some 16 years in prison for such horrendous crimes, a guy called Leroy Campbell, dangerous sexual predator, the mistakes and failings that left him on the streets to enable him to rape and murder a nurse named Lisa Skidmore. And we heard of her family's plight and how this guy should have been recalled to prison. He, he should have done. He admitted to his probation officer that he was thinking about committing a sexual attack again. And this has got lost in translation. The official word is it's got lost in translation somewhere. And he was left free. He was just left there. And Lisa paid for it. And her family paid for it as well. Actually, they went through pure hell to get any kind of acknowledgement and apology and the whole thing is documented in the episode. So then it was time for the series finale. It got to like December and what a crazy, absolutely busy year it had been. 
and a case jumped out at me. It wasn't one, as I said, the only tale that I'd planned for the series, definitely thought that's 100% going to be in it, was Thriller. So these, this is a prime example of these things that jump out at you. And a tale called The Good Samaritan, that I entitled The Good Samaritan, jumped out at me. The actions of a true predator and a narcissistic fantasist called Edward Tenniswood. It closed off the series when we heard about the callous actions of his that led to the rape and murder of a 20-year-old woman named India Chipchase and the unbelievable account that he'd come out with in court. It's, it's still, as I, it was only a few weeks ago that I wrote it, and it's still quite fresh in my mind. It, it's, it's extraordinary. It, it really is. If you're not caught up with that yet, or if you're not caught up with that yet, why are you listening to me reviewing the series? You know, a bit mm, naughty, naughty. But no, have a listen into it. It's... Uh, and it was well worth a two-part. There, there was no way, simply, it would have been a really massively long episode. And in hindsight, probably, yeah. I, I, I could have done like a two-hour one, but then that's two hours to edit as well, which is like a hell of a lot longer, you know. And it worked out. I was happy with how it worked out. It was it was right for a two-parter. Some are and some aren't, and that one was. So with that time, that was the series done. But of course, I'm missing something, aren't I? It was what's been the highlight of the series for me. Probably the highlight of the years I've been doing The Enthusiast. It's the case of John Duffy and David Mulcahy, uh, more commonly known as the Railway Murders. So nobody seems to cover Duffy and Mulcahy. I, I don't know why, because it's, it, it's quite... The, the case is extraordinary. Without me sounding like a ghoul or not glorifying... Their actions, because they're just monstrous, they, they completely are, but it, it's one of the most fascinating cases I've ever come across, and it's one, it's fascinated me for years, I've read up so much about it, chapter and verse, and it was, it, it was, there were so many twists and developments and everything in it, and I was quite surprised that no one seems to cover it, I can think of a couple of, well, I believe something, I think Case File has covered it, actually, but I don't think any of the other UK shows have. And I can think of a couple who would do a fabulous job with it. I, I really do. But nobody seems to have. So I thought, I'd have a bash at it. It was when I'd done Maniac in 2020. thought, right, what am I going to do next time? Oh, Duffy and Mulcahy. Because then the initial rapes will be an episode. Allison's will be an episode. Marty will be an episode. And Locke will be an episode. Then you've got the whole profile thing. The first David Cantor doing his magic. And then you've got Duffy being arrested, but being quiet. and. Then you've got him coming out and sort of giving evidence against Mulcahy. And so I'm, as I'm going through all these points in my mind about the case, I'm, I'm thinking that's an episode, that's an episode, that's an episode. And I think the reason that people don't cover it is because it is a sheer daunting one to do. I mean, I've just counted up. I, I did nine episodes for it. And uh, it, it, so it's a, it's a daunting one to do, but it is today on the show the work that I think I'm most proud of. It certainly was the most challenging and time-consuming one I've ever covered. But what made it so sort of humbling for me, if you like, was a family member of Alison got in touch with me uh, when, when I was doing the arc and had nothing but praise and thanks for the way that I'd covered it. Well, when you hear things like that, as I said, it's just, it's humbling and Every time it can feel like a mountain, because it did on times, I, I won't lie to you. Words such as that spur you on. 
They, they really do. Nothing strives you further on to do the best job that you possibly can when you hear things like that from someone so affected by it. As I said, I've never wanted in my life, though, to belt two people as much as I wanted to both Duffy and Mulcahy over those couple of months that I was doing it. And all of the text that I've used for the episode has been put well away out of sight, and it's not to come off the shelves for many years to come yet, if, if ever. And in response to the nine episodes, I know I did have a couple of quite slating reviews during the arc when I was claimed to be, I think one said, oh, stop bloody dragging it out. And then another said, oh, an arc is two to three episodes. Perhaps it will never end or some shit like that is. All I can say is that I did it with how I was happy with doing it. Nothing goes out unless I'm completely happy. It's the best that I can do. And to the people who leave reviews like that, if you can do it better, and you know who you are, then please do, and please let me review your efforts, because I'd love to. Now, I'm not having a moan there, because I've got skin thicker than the cast of Love Island, really, so I don't take things like that to heart. I know some people are just spiteful, aren't they? And if they want to do pointless things like that, hey, fill your boots, mate. You'll miss me before I miss you. But if you can't be constructive, I always think, then don't say anything. I did have mostly glowing reviews for it, with several of you very kind, thank you very much for them, uh, it's totally supporting the length of the tale. And overall, I gather that you folks found it an informative listen, and it went down very well, so I thank you for that, I really, really do. 11 part tale coming next series then. No, jeez, no, no, I'm just joking with you. I can't really think of another case that I have on the list that could come anywhere near to the depth or length of that one well not off the top of my head anyway the only thing i think could surpass it would be like a study of the yorkshire ripper case or the bloody wests or something and that's not happening at all there's more chance of me getting pregnant or thinking that the bbc were right to cancel crime watch you know too much ground has been made over each of those cases and any decent take on each would be a full series on its own and I don't really want to look into Rose West's kinks for months on end, or regurgitating the canon about Peter Sutcliffe. I, I don't see the point. No, I have got the next arc selected, trust me, but that's some months off yet. So, there's the series in review. I know it's been a bit garbled and a bit disjointed, and I do waffle shit. I've been listening to myself while I'm recording this, I'm thinking, what the fuck are you going on about? Sure, or, but there you go. There's my series six. I'm very proud of it. It's been my favourite series to have done. A hell of a lot of hard work. Believe me, it really was, but worthwhile. Very worthwhile. It's my privilege to. Thank you, guys. So it's time for a couple of days off for me right now. Well, I say that, but it won't happen at all. And I'll be back at the end of January with series seven of the show. This last year gone was one hell of a year, and thinking back here about the series, I mean, I haven't even touched on the Patreon episodes that I did extra, or the book that I somehow managed to draft in between all that too. I don't know how I've done it. Uh, and that is coming, by the way, folks. As soon as I can make it happen, it will happen. I've got some... Uh, uh, I'm having a few discussions at the moment. But that last year has definitely been the busiest one for the enthusiast, and despite the shit show of the past couple of years that we've all had with COVID and crap like that, it's been the best one. It's been my privilege bringing you the tales that I have done. I'm proud to have worked on them, and I thank you all so deeply for sticking with the show. 
I know I say this often, but sticking with it and getting it to the point where it is today, it's nothing without you all and my gratitude I wish I could express to each of you in person. Let's see what the next lot brings, eh? But this series is dedicated, personally to me, this series is dedicated to one person above all, who may not be around anymore, but certainly isn't forgotten, and who taught me from a young age that you have to work hard for good results. It's my dad, JD. Cheers, dad. Razor Foster's to you. With that, from me and the almost toothless, one-eyed, black-and-white wonder peaks, we thank you all for joining us, wish you all the very best for this coming year, and we shall catch you all very soon. I've been, I still am, and hopefully still will be Paul, the true crime enthusiast, wishing you all good and safe times, and I shall speak to you very soon. Take care, folks. Thank you and stay safe, and goodbye for now.